Okay, hello, hello, hello. This is Lynn. It's been a while. Um, I'm trying out a new software, uh, Audacity, which was recommended to me a long time ago, but then I just kind of used Anchor for a while, which is much easier to um, to use. But then I guess you kind of get locked into that Spotify system. So I thought I'd try something a little bit different and, I don't know, maybe learn a new software. Um, yeah, today... I have given myself a weekday or a weekend day. It's a Tuesday, but because I work on Saturday, Sunday, and I study supposedly Monday to Friday, but not full time, um, I realized that, or I have recently come to accept that I do need to give myself a proper full day off, even if uh, I'm not, you know, operating at cognitive maximum load on the weekend somehow it still kind of takes its toll so um today i've given myself a full day off and what that means and what i find is most recharging is to have a day where there is no schedule or no time limits and even if i have to-do lists i don't calendar block it because i'm one of those people who block everything on calendar doesn't mean i actually follow it but um, it helps me organize all the things I'm supposed to do and estimate how much I normally can get done. I'm actually really bad at estimating still. But my point being that today I feel like I have a new lease of life because of what I did yesterday. And I will share that with you. Okay, so let me tell you what I did yesterday. Um, I'm re-recording this because I forgot so much. Um, I think one of the things I, I titled the previous section was a new lease on life. And I started wondering where this term lease of life comes from. But okay, let's talk about that later. Um, so what happened was several months back, I signed up to participate in this experiment um, where as part of it, you would be put into a very controlled environment for 24 to 36 hours and not allowed to sleep. I knew all of this up front. Um, and the idea was to kind of see what the, the difference was between people who had full sleep and people who, had, uh, who were who sleep deprived, right? After following a, a fixed and proper schedule of eight hours sleep every day. Um, and within this 24 to 36 hours, you were put into a very specific kind of controlled environment so that everybody has the same kind of environment and um, everything was kind of uh, adjusted and um, timed or managed so that I guess you could kind of get a standard basis for comparison across different participants. So I knew all of this up front um, and... I'll tell you what it was like. So uh, I basically went into this research facility and the room that they set up 
was meant to be controllable in almost every way. So I saw, not for this experiment, but I'm, I think they use it for others. They even are able to control the amount of oxygen that's in the room um, or control the amount of air pressure, control the lighting, control the sound, um, all sorts of things, right? So um, it's, yeah, it's a pretty interesting setup. Uh, but I think one where I have some, uh, I will definitely not put myself in that kind of setting again. And so what happened is I go in in the morning and um, I get put into this room. The room is very, very clean, which is great. Um, it's very clinical, like very white. There's a bit there which I'm not allowed to sleep in because part of this uh, experiment basically requires that I don't sleep for 24 to 36 hours. Um but other than that, objectively speaking, it's pretty comfortable, right? There are desks if you want to work. Um, there's a chair that's adjustable in height. There's even one of those like nice armchairs where you can flip out the footrest and you can kind of put the back down to lie down flat. But I couldn't lie down flat because I was not supposed to. Um, and they provide games for you. Food and drinks are provided. They even have somebody there to kind of keep your company or play games with you if you want to do that. Um, and so I was, being my very unrealistic, ambitious self, brought five books that I thought I would finish reading and also three books that I was going to use to plan my life. Um, <laughs> so what happens is you're put into this room. You can wear whatever you want. Um, and they start off by putting an uh, EEG cap on your head. So this is one of those, I think it stands for electroencephalography. Um, and they put one of those caps on your head where you can uh, you can kind of like squirt in connector fluid so that these electrodes that sit on top of your scalp can read the electrical signals that come from different parts of your brain, right? And precision-wise, of course, it's, it's not great because it sits on top of the scalp, but the idea is that they can kind of use that to monitor which parts of your brain are doing different, uh, you know, are active at different points in time. So that's the first time I ever had an EEG cap. It was surprisingly comfortable, actually. It's not as tight as I would have expected, although you get a lot of gunk in your hair. Um, but yeah, so you sit there with an EEG cap and then um, your food is... Uh, they provide lunch and dinner and everything um, and snacks. Your food is provided by them, but you don't actually know what time it is. So I think, sorry, to backtrack and set it, Number one, you don't know what time it is because there are no windows in this room. The lighting is controlled um, and it's set at actually quite a pretty, quite a dim level. It's cool lighting or white lighting, not warm lighting. So it's set at a fairly dim level, at least dimmer than what I'm used to, even though you can read comfortably and see things clearly and all of that. Um, and then uh, everything is really pretty, you know, objectively speaking, comfortable, covered in white sheets. It has a very clinical feeling. Um, but because you're not supposed to know what time it is, they remove all your electronics, all your screens that would emit kind of blue light or bright light, um, anything that has a time on it, right? Like my phone, my Kindle, watch, if you have like an iPad, everything, they kind of take it away. And there are no indicators of time in this room at all. So... Um, you are basically just in here, passing time and doing whatever you want to do at periodic 
uh, at, at certain periods, you have to kind of, let's say, provide a certain kind of sample or you have to take certain kinds of tests to look at your reaction time or your attention. And throughout this time, you're wearing, throughout this 24 to 36 hours, you're wearing an EEG cap. Now, the EEG cap, right, as a side note, um, itself is pretty comfortable. What I didn't expect is that it's kind of attached to this thing at the back of uh, your head that I guess collects all the signals and kind of um, kind of charges it or, or yeah I, I'm not sure what it does actually because I couldn't see it um, but you're wearing not just the cap but something that is attached to it like a bit of a device and then that device is connected to um, uh, an external battery pack because you're wearing it for such a long period you need it to be active right so there I was sitting there with this cap on my head with a gunk all in my hair surprisingly comfortable um and thinking that i would read you know three to five books i would plan out all these things and um very quickly what i realized was a few things impacted me a lot more than i expected and i think realizing that these very small very simple things impacted me really made me also realize what i take for granted so number one the dimness of the lighting really affected everything. Like I could barely concentrate or stay awake, not only because I hadn't had coffee for 24 hours, but because it was so much lower than what you what we are used to, I think, even though it's bright enough to do everything. And I kept thinking, you know those, you know when you're young and like they tell you, if you study in Singapore, they have all these like Chinese textbooks that tell you how these scholars really like overcame a lot of the adversities in life, even though they only had a candle or a hole in the wall where the moonlight could shine in that they could study by, they really overcame all the odds and then they became the top person and the top scholar in the land and then they went on to serve their country blah 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 blah. and I had that in my mind I was like okay if they can do that if they can do that in the 12th century or whatever I'm sure I can do this in dim light um I think candlelight and moonlight are pretty different from this what like this cool dim light that they had, um, but the lighting really affected me a lot more. Not just in terms of what I was able to do and concentrate on because of its effect on the eyes, but also I suspect I'm not sure because of what that level of lighting does for your melatonin. So I think because it was dimmer than what I was used to and most of the time I didn't have to be but most of the time I was sedentary because it was quite a small room um I guess I don't know I, I think that kind of exacerbated the the inability to concentrate um and and then that what that does is actually affect your uh engagement with certain things so what I found helped in this kind of setting was number one having somebody to talk to where you actually could talk to them about something of interest um, and sometimes that could be very very brainless like Harry Potter books right um, and the other thing that helped was kind of really getting into something that I uh, was very interested in which um, at this stage was kind of planning uh, the next stage of uh, coaching practice and then but at some point, right, I think maybe because we're so used to kind of working on screens or because I needed a certain way to organize my thoughts and I didn't have the right setting, um, that also became pretty difficult. And so 
on top of that lighting, I think the other thing that really affected me much more than I expected was just not having a sense of time. And a sense of time comes with several things, right? Um, it comes with knowledge of how long this misery <laughs> is going to last. Um, it comes with how we structure our day. And it also just comes, I guess, with the, to me at least, it came with a sense of, almost like a sense of self, like I felt like I couldn't anchor my behavior or my thoughts or my plans in a particular um, space and time because this was just so separate from everything else. There was also no natural light and no nature. So you are deliberately not exposed to sunlight. And, um, and I don't think I ever really appreciated how much natural light or those natural rhythms affect my circadian rhythms or affect the way I function and affect my cognitive state, right? And even my emotional state, honestly. Um, so I used to think, you know, when you go to casinos, right? If you if you do go there, um, you realize that there are no windows uh, and there there is a sense, there are clocks, so you can tell the time. So that's a big difference. <laughs> and I didn't realize how big that difference would be right to not have natural indicators of time but even like human indicators of time um because i always had no problems staying awake in a casino even if it's 2 3 a.m and i normally am able to stay awake from you know from 7 a.m to 1 a.m if i'm engaged and so i thought when i signed up for this experiment six more hours before i actually do something that i thought you know would be fun um you know would not be an issue but by the time it was five or six hours in, I was experiencing headaches, um, probably a combination of caffeine withdrawal and just this light setting, um, the light and, sorry, the light and the setting. Uh, and I also started experiencing nausea. And I wondered if it was because of some of the instruments they used to measure had infrared, uh, were infrared emitting but the levels were so low that I don't feel like that is the issue. So I really think that particular situation kind of affected me a lot more than I expected. And that even comes down to the meals, right? So they provide meals which are like ample and which are healthy and quite tasty. But I never knew when I was going to get my next meal. I never knew... Um, you know, if I was hungry because I thought I should be hungry or because I actually was, um, I couldn't ask or couldn't find out how much time had passed. I couldn't find out how long this would last. Um, you know, I wasn't really allowed to eat my own snacks that I brought because everything was quite controlled. Even your fluid intake was measured as well because I think, you know, they're collecting different data points. Um so it was just an extremely controlled situation that I had never been in before, not just to be separated from indicators of time, not just to be separated from nature, but also just to be, I think, like socially isolated because I couldn't message anybody for comfort, right? And there's somebody I can talk to, but, you know, th that only kind of goes up to a point and then, at least for me, conversation becomes something that you have to invest energy in and I didn't have much energy left um 
also didn't bring medication because I thought I wasn't allowed to for the headache and so that kind of made things worse um so by the time we were I'm estimating because I don't know what time it was by the time we were I think about five hours in I had headache I had nausea I felt really shitty I wasn't sure how long I could continue and I was actually starting to dissociate physically like I would be sitting there doing these cognitive tests and not be sure if I was like I my mind just felt separate from my body um, if that makes sense and then about I would say seven hours in um, I feel like I was on the verge of hallucination so part of the tests that I had to do were um, kind of attention and boredom related I think and so there were things like you know press a button when you see something or like stare at this thing for a certain amount of time or like wait to listen to this thing for a certain amount of time you have no idea like no idea how much time has passed I tried counting the seconds and then I got so bored because there's so many seconds that I really I just stopped so during one of those tests like I said around seven hours in I think I started feeling like I wasn't sure if I was actually looking at something or if something was looking at me. Um, I wasn't sure when I heard something if I had actually heard it or if I had imagined hearing it. And um, it was just, it was a crazy experience. I started wondering why, like, what was going on was there some kind of like other game at work where you know sometimes in research experiments they can't really tell you exactly what's going to happen because if you know that affects the results um, and they will debrief you usually after that and kind of just make sure you're okay and everything it's all part of the ethic ethics or ethical practice when it comes to research so i um yeah so then i started thinking oh okay maybe maybe they're just going to stop this because most people kind of get a little bit delirious at this point or in a few hours rather than go through the entire 36 hours because it can't have been 12 hours, right? So I kind of guesstimated based on my energy levels, based on what I had done and how much time that usually takes, um, how much time had passed. And then I think around nine hours in, the nausea got worse and I kind of started going into a little bit of... So the nausea got worse and I actually threw up twice. Um, I don't know if it was the food or if it was just like this prolonged state of misery. Like not knowing what time it was. Not knowing what had happened. Not knowing how long more I would have to do this. And worrying that at the end of it I might still not be able to actually do what we we're supposed to do after this this period. Um... I felt like it, I, I felt like I had this I, I just wasn't really sure what reality was anymore um, and then after throwing up twice I also went for this basically what was going to be the last round of cognitive tests um, or attention tests that uh, that had set because during this test while I was staring at this um, white screen still wearing that EEG cap mind you um having thrown up a couple of times having wondered what the hell was going on why I had done this I think while I was staring at this 
this thing on the screen that may or may not have been staring at me, I just started crying because I just went into this existential downward spiral of wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I here? What was I doing five years ago? I think my life was better before, um, you know, before I started on this, this journey. Did I make a really big mistake? Did I do something wrong? Is my life going to be normal again? Do I have hope to continue for the future? Why am I in this room? Why did I feel I have to put myself here? And at the end of it, um, when that test finished, I think the, the researchers could see that something wasn't going right. Um, and, you know, they kind of checked in and asked how I was. And I was actually kind of willing to continue trying for a bit more. But they did say that things would get a lot worse. Um, if I felt like this at this stage, then thinking about how much further the experiment had to go, it would only get worse. So in the end, we both kind of agreed that it would make sense for me to stop. And for the first time ever, I pulled out of a research project. Um, yeah, so I'll share a little bit more in the next stage about the afterthoughts, but gosh, I tell you, leaving that is like really having having a new lease of life, like leaving that room. And when you get such an immense sense of relief from any kind of decision, you know that it's the right decision. delirium in a research room with tubes stuck in my head um, <laughs> I think one is one is to never overcommit again to anything regarding sleep <laughs> deprivation or boredom um, so I think actually one thing that I didn't expect to come out of this because I knew I'd be relieved when I left that room but I didn't expect to this is a bit random probably but I didn't expect to have sympathy for people who are in prison because for probably the second half of that I just kept thinking oh my god this is a prison it's probably way more comfortable than what an actual prison is like you know you have your own ensuite bathroom there's like everything is really clean is sanitary you have somebody to look after it like to keep you company um but honestly leaving that felt like leaving a prison and I I think a lot of it had to do with the amount of control that I had to give up to be in that situation, um, you know. And you, when they said randomized control trials, like this is the control part, right? They have to control the conditions quite tightly to get as much, as close to objectivity as they can. And so I, I completely understand that. But just having to cede control over basic things like eating, drinking you know the amount what you're eating when you're eating was 
it kind of it kind of messed with me a lot more than I expected. And then I think the second thing is the what you can do, right? So restricting restricting the range of activities you can participate in, whether it's for a specific period of time because let's say so for example, do you know that moving affects melatonin production? So if you if you're active I think this is why they ask you not to exercise too much at night because that could affect your melatonin production, make it difficult for you to sleep. But there were certain periods of time where I couldn't do certain activities or I had to like stick to a particular routine and um, I essentially, this is partly my fault, but essentially I ended up just kind of staying in a chair and moving um, <laughs> moving in very limited ways, right? And the chair, can I just say, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it, but it's like a business class level chair, right? So I was trying to imagine in my mind that... I was basically in business class, you know, I was getting food at the same time as, as like, whatever the feeding schedule was. Um, you know, I would get to lean back, I get to watch movies. It kind of objectively is as close to business class as you can get, except that you can't sleep. Um, and except that you windows for the plane, so to speak, are blacked out. But I didn't expect my imagination, and I usually have pretty good imagination, I didn't expect to, that to be so affected by... Um, first of all, caffeine deprivation, so alertness, and secondly, um, the dimness of the lighting. So those things really messed with, I think, not just um, not just like mental aspects of being, but I think physiologically as well. Uh, it, it probably affected certain kinds of, I don't know, like like regulation of um certain hormones or neurochemicals um and yeah and I, I think giving up that level of control and that level of knowledge just really made it difficult and I can only imagine what it's like if you're in a situation where you know you might be surrounded by people who are dangerous or you don't even have like a very sanitary toilet or your own um, bathroom to go to or you don't even have a bed so I understand some prisons actually don't have beds they give you mats to lie on the floor um, but I can only imagine what it's like to kind of be in that extremely regimented extremely controlled and extremely limited environment and I just feel leaving that leaving the experiment and leaving that situation I just felt like wow nobody nobody should have to undergo this level of over control and and like basic deprivation or control over very basic things um so i never really honestly thought much about um the actual context of a prison i always thought you know it's good to have that kind of structure um like there are a lot of problems with prison systems around the world uh where it's punishment focused rather than rehabilitation and i think it's a it's a difficult line to tread, um, but just on a like purely individual human level, I think I have a newfound sympathy for people who are in prison, especially for extended periods of time. Just to not have that basic autonomy is, um, yeah, it's it's just really really jarring and just shouldn't shouldn't be the case. Um, and I think it fe- I feel like it does probably more damage than good um yeah so that's one thing that kind of came out 
But I think what I definitely took away from it from the moment I left to, you know, kind of coming home and being able to walk into warm light, walk into my own home where I could control the environment, I could lie down horizontally if I wanted. Um, there's just a newfound appreciation for a lot of things that I really, really took for granted. I don't think I mentioned why I signed up for this. Um, but basically, at the beginning, I thought that I would be able to do this because, like I said, I usually stay up until 1 a.m. And I just thought, you know, another six to seven hours um, wouldn't be that difficult and I would be ultra productive. And um, yeah, I, I just thought it would be interesting to kind of test myself and see what would actually happen because the activity after this isolation or control period. Uh, was also very interesting and I thought it would let me do things that I wouldn't be able to do in real life and then on top of that there's also a pretty handsome participant um, reimbursement so usually if you participate in research experiments they will give you something like uh, it can be like a voucher or it can be cash or it can be uh, you know whatever kind of reimbursement but um, they should be giving you something because they're taking your data and your time, right? And so for this one, because of the amount of commitment, it was actually quite a bit of money that um, that was available and kind of the equivalent of at least three to four days of work. And I could really use that to, to you know, let me do some other things that I otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So I signed up for it. I really thought I would enjoy it. And I stuck with it because even though I found it was difficult, I... You know, I just didn't expect to kind of go through all these different stages of gradual descent into madness and dissociation. <laughs> but so what did I what did I take out from it? I think first of all, like a really fundamental appreciation for things that I had started to take for granted. Um I think I gained a newfound appreciation for sleep autonomy, like the ability to go to sleep whenever I want. Um, the ability to be out in sunlight or just be out in nature or have that as part of my environment um, the ability to control my own environment and activities and behavior and what I want to do is definitely something I always take for granted um, just because you know we live in whatever setting that we kind of live with and don't really realize until certain things are taken away how important or how valuable they could be to us I also definitely realize I have I have a coffee addiction and I am not afraid to say that. <laughs> I'm happily a coffee addict. Um, and I think uh, I just, so that appreciation for very simple things, you know, even the ability to like be at home in an environment that I could control, the ability to be in a horizontal position for whatever time I however long I want to at whatever time I want to you know um but I think more broadly also I I think it was a good reminder of like the sunk cost fallacy like part of the reason why I had stuck with this was because I had already invested two and a half days and um you know I I wanted to go the whole way because the return would be much much more than uh, if I completed everything compared to how much I put in but 
it really is true, and maybe this will help me finally understand the Monty Hall scenario, which I've never understood. <laughs> it really is true that maybe at every point of decision, you kind of need to decide based on what that situation is, rather than always be tied to, you know, whatever you, whatever you, the history of a particular situation is or whatever you have already put in because circumstances change and the context changes and you really have to make the best decision that you can at that point in time with what you know at that point in time and that could be very different from how things were an hour before or a week before or a year before right so I think that's just a really important point to remember and to practice because I often get very attached to decisions I made before and then try to justify it with the future but then the reality is you're continually investing your time and your energy and your money and resources towards something that may or may not be the best path right and so I think this goes back to one of the things that I spoke about in a previous fairly early episode about not over planning certain things because just because things have worked out to pl- according to plan doesn't mean that was the best way that they could have worked out, right? It just gives you a sense and maybe an illusion of control. So that's definitely a good reminder. Um, I think a second thing is, um, honestly, you don't know how you're going to react or respond in a certain situation until you do it. And related to that, I think it's really important to remember that we don't know what other people are going through because you can have a certain notion or impression of what they might be experiencing and how they, inverted commas, should respond. But honestly, until you've actually been in that situation, you don't know, first of all, how you would respond. And secondly, you don't know what the individual differences are between your experience and somebody else going through exactly the same thing at that point in time but with a very different personal history immediate event history individual you know makeup whether you're talking about biological mental physical whatever right you just really don't know until you actually have walked the exact same path in the exact same shoes and what that means is we actually don't know um what anybody else is going through what we think we know generally is based on a combination of our own assumptions our own experience and what we try to generalize from what we have seen but what we have seen is usually kind of just the tip of the iceberg because it's only the external visible part Um, and so I think that's kind of just a, a reminder and in a way just experientially remembering a lesson that I have had to learn and relearn over the last couple of years, whether it's through coming out of COVID or through studying psychology or moving to a new city or, um, you know, through coaching as well, that I really can't assume what other, that I understand what somebody else is going through, right? Really, the best thing that I can provide in any setting, whether just as a human being or in future as you know, a psychologist or as a coach is to kind of work with them to unpack that and facilitate them figuring out what is it that stands out to them, what is it that's important to them and what is the best path forward. But I cannot be the one to tell them what they should do. I I can, however, say right now that, you know, um, a very basic level of uh, like treatment or advice in psychology 
and I got this from being a clinic intern and kind of observing a lot of um, sessions with uh, a psychiatrist. One thing that he always, always brought up was get out and get a little bit of exercise, even if it's just walking, and get regular sleep. And when you kind of reduce advice that, you know, professional advice or something like that, it sounds so logical. And on one level, it's just, how can it be that simple? On another level, it's, why am I paying so much for that? Right. And so I think sometimes I, I don't know about you, but at least for me, I tend to conflate complexity with um, effectiveness. And that really isn't that that's that's a false um, association. So very basic things like sleep and why sleep research has been such a big focus in recent years. Um, very basic things like sleep, nutrition, socializing, getting out into fresh air, getting into nature, getting your body moving. Those are really, really basic things that really have a huge amount of impact, much more than you probably would think. So, um, yeah, I think the last thing that I wanted to mention that I did take out of this is I never really realized it until after this experiment or after this kind of being in this situation that for me, happiness and relaxation has, until now, still been tied to productivity. The idea is that if I am happy or if I take time out to recharge, that will actually make me more productive and able to handle more and achieve more and do more. But honestly, just happiness and relaxation for its own sake, right, is regardless of whether it makes you more productive, regardless of whether it, like, gives you a boost in all the other things, all the other parts of life that you want to function in for its own sake. Um, taking time out for your cells, like your body cells, taking time out for your brain, taking time out to enjoy life is really, really important. This is different from hedonism, which is, um, I'm going to take a quote from Sherry Ning where she differentiates between pleasure and enjoyment and she talks about how pleasure really is um, passive consumption it's something that you would you know derive some kind of pleasure from even if you don't actively participate but enjoyment requires energy it requires effort but it's something that you you take away from in a more active form Right, So there has to be some level of creation there that lends it a different level of, um, yeah, a different level of that differentiation between enjoyment and pleasure. Right. And I think hedonism, you know, for example, just consuming a lot of things without actually thinking about um, creation is very different from taking time out for yourself to recharge. Um, to do things that you want to do just for the sake of doing it, right? Back to that part about the journey is the goal. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that in itself is valuable, even if it doesn't, you know, 10x all the other things that I want to do in life. I think that's a very important part of life that I now have a new appreciation for.